Hey, Rolling Rocks fam. Just wanted to give you a quick explanation on the sound quality of tonight's show. So, you'll notice that the sound quality on the host's side isn't up to our usual level of excellence. There was something going on with our microphone when we were talking to Matt, and the sound gate wasn't opening quite as fast. So, Matt's side of the audio sounds fine, and it sounded great when we recorded. But when I went back and listened to the show in post, the host side audio was not up to our usual standards. But the conversation with Matt was so good that we didn't want to re-record it and lose the energy that we had with him that day. So went in to post and tried to amplify and trim out where I could to make it audible. So we'll have the issue fixed by the time Joe comes on the following show to close out the Coffee Wars Chronicles and we'll make sure um, that there's no hitches in that one and apologies ahead of time to Matt. He did a great job and apologies to our listeners. We'll make sure this doesn't happen again. So, on to the show with Matt McCollum, the Drunk Flamingo. This is Rolling Rocks Radio with Jerry Armentrout, Cody Carter, and Scott Barker. Welcome to another edition of Rolling Rocks Radio, a podcast where we talk about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, mixed martial arts, and anything else we find entertaining. He's Jerry Armentrout. I'm Scott Barker, and you're here for the second edition of the Coffee Wars Chronicles. This week, we're being joined by the one and only Matt McCollum. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, Becky's going to be a tough act to follow. She is, but you know what? You got Team Black Coffee here, so I think we can. I think we can double down. I think we can figure this one out. Um, so, Matt, just to start off, man. What's your story like? Where are you from? How'd you come up? You know, what makes Matt Matt? Well, I uh, I grew up in uh, South Carolina. Uh, went to school, joined the army, uh, did that uh, for a little over twenty years, uh, and then uh, retired out of that and uh, to start my uh, my second life. So I'm now in uh, that second life phase of uh, uh, of a second career. How long you been out? Um. Uh, you make me take my shoes off and do the math. Uh, about eight years now. So how'd you end up going in the military? What uh, what prompted that? Um, that's what I wanted to do for as long as I could remember. Uh, grew up running around the woods, playing guns, and all I wanted to do was uh, was join the military. Um, the choice, uh, well, I wanted to be a fighter pilot. Uh, and then uh, about 10th or 12th, Somewhere maybe around 10th grade, my eyeballs went, uh, no, you're not going to do that. Uh, so, uh, so I decided to uh, do something else, but still just wanted to go in the military. And uh, uh, my uncle paid for, me, get, paid for me to go to school. So I went to school courtesy of uh, my uncle Sam, uh, which, uh, you know, committed me to a couple years. Uh, and then it just got to the point of, uh, well, there's nothing else I'd rather be doing. Uh, so I think I'll just stay in. Uh, and then by the time I hit the uh, about 18 to 20 year mark, um, multiple deployments, my kids were about to start high school. Um, and I made the decision, hey, all right, I put the family last for the last 15, 16 years. Uh, family comes first. So uh, I retired and with the goal of, hey, kid, uh, you get to uh, go to one high school. Didn't turn out that way. Uh, just because the way the job market worked, but uh, that was the background for for getting out when I did. 
Uh, I started off uh, in, uh, in tanks uh, and then by the, well, did tanks for about eight years. And then, uh, and just in the odd course of events, spent the rest of my time in uh, infantry brigades, light infantry brigades, uh, spending my time walking, uh, doing uh, odd jobs. So uh, just a, a weird but fun career. Cavalry to light infantry, you're almost well, running the gamut of ultra protected to not really. Well, you know, uh, the 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 light uh, infantry brigades, uh, they do have uh, cavalry squadrons, uh, so I ended up at you know in in that type of role in a lot of a lot of cases, just a you know a, a dismounted scout. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I went in as armor, and then he transitioned after I think six years to uh, tank kill. So he, he started was one on an anti tank crew. So he went from yep. riding around in them to trying to kill them. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I spent a fair amount of time in uh, in reconnaissance units, and uh, yeah. So you go from riding in them to hunting them. Well, what better way to know how to kill something to you know know all of its weaknesses? Yep. And so, Matt, I had a very similar thing. Like, I wanted to be a fighter pilot, too. I had Top Gun on, you know, permanent loop in my house until the fifth grade of my eyeballs said, yeah, that's not what you're going to end up doing. So I joined the aircraft. My, and my ASVAB score was ridiculous. Uh, Ridiculously high, let's yeah, be clear. And I joined the Marine Corps, and they're like, don't you want to do something other than? Nope, just want me to wreck them. Well, your score is <laughs> good. Yeah, no. Nah. I'm red, green, colorblind. I just want to shoot shit. <laughs> it's easier that way i don't have to look because they're like well because the first was like you do this and this and this well you're red green colorblind so you can't do anything with explosives or this so i'm like yeah just give me a gun give me a rifle give me yeah give me a rifle and, and some grenades and we'll just deal with this shit so um what was the transition out of uh military service like for you uh it was uh quite honestly weird um, so uh, I was in Afghanistan. Uh, I knew I was going to be getting out in anywhere from three to six years. Uh, so I just like, well, let me put my resume together and uh, just see what happens. Maybe do some uh, some practice interviews because you know next three to six years I'm going to be getting out. Well, ended up getting a, an interview request uh, there in my hometown. Um, came home, was on block leave from the deployment. Uh, and, uh, you know, it turned, you know, I have a cliche, your resume gets you the interview. Uh, and then the interview gets you the job. I got pretty much a courtesy interview. Uh, I was scheduled for a 30 minute interview uh, that turned into a two and a half hour discussion nice. uh, and got it and, and got a job offer. Um, and uh, was like, oh, OK, dropped my retirement uh, paperwork. Uh, and was uh, out of the military in 92 days, uh, yeah. and uh, and then started the uh, started the new job, um, and uh, absolutely no regrets uh, about doing that, um, and really about you know I miss I miss the people in the military, but uh, I I had done everything I wanted to do in the military, so it was the right time to get out. 20 years, one month, and 29 days. Not that I was counting. That's you, you've you've done yours. So man, dropping your retirement package to deal with your family, man, that's awesome. Well, just the fact yeah. that he was, I mean, just the fact that he was in to actually drop that long to drop his his uh, retirement papers, right? Um, so did you do the uh, did you do the terminal leave gravy train? 
I absolutely did. Uh, so I took, <laughs> and again, because of deployment and all those leaves, uh, I had a butt ton of leave. Uh, so uh, I very strategically took it. Uh, so coming out of my job, uh, I knew uh, there's six of us peers uh, in that job. Uh, you get a lot of short notice tasking. So as soon as my retirement was approved, I scheduled all my get out appointments where I'm untouchable. Uh, and then I put in a series of uh, leave requests. So I did not have more than one duty day in a row. Um, and uh, I, I, moved the, uh, I moved the family to the new house. Uh, a Sergeant Major buddy hooked me up and I lived in a little Quonset hut on the uh, uh, George Army National Guard uh, there on uh, Fort Stewart. Um, and basically all I did was PT and clear and on the weekends, uh, go to the new house and they hit me up for a tasking and, you know, I'm like, I, Hey, I'm happy to help. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm on duty, uh, this Tuesday, next Thursday. Uh, and then the Friday after that, uh, will that support your timeline of what you need me to do? Uh, no, we're just going to go to someone else. I was like, okay, Sorry, happy to help. So, so it was a nice way to, nice way to ease it out. And then, uh, Shoot, I ended up uh, starting the job after 30 days uh, and had about two months of, uh, of terminal leave getting the, uh, the fat double paycheck. Yeah, yeah. We, my, my, the guys on my sales team are basically 100% former military. We would pick them up coming, you know, either coming out of retirement and they'd, they'd, be, they'd be on the terminal leave, two paycheck, yep. two paycheck a day. And I'm like, dude, that's, that's awesome. They're like, yeah, it's great. I just went and bought a new truck. I'm going to have it paid off in two months. <laughs> okay, good enough. Um, so what are you doing now? So now I work, uh, I work for a power company uh, here in uh, Tennessee uh, at a uh, nuclear power plant. Oh, very cool. I have a friend who's uh, uh, in Pennsylvania and he's part of the, he's, he's involved with the nuclear power company, uh, power program up there. He does a lot of uh, security stuff and different aspects of it. He'll run like the security breaches and this is what happens. And he'll do a lot of the protocols and stuff. He's so I'm a little familiar with that stuff. Yes. Not, not not enough to where I can sit here. Well, yeah, I understand what you're saying, but I know kind of what y'all, yeah, I, know, I have the, the layman's idea of what you do. Do so you have your own bridge? Uh, I'm uh, I near Oak Ridge, but I don't work at Oak Ridge. I work for uh, TVA, Tennessee Valley Authority. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, I drive I drive through that area quite a bit. I I, I know we've talked about. It. I work down in Huntsville occasionally, yeah. and I I drive that corridor all the time. Yeah. So I'm always driving by Oak Ridge and Lenore and all that place down through Sevierville and yeah, whatnot. Yep. So I'm always. Actually, it's a fun area. And I know we talked about it. Stop next time you, you drive through, man. Next time I come through and the sun is still up, I definitely will. I always manage to get out of, I've always managed to get out of the house late, like yep. four o'clock. And by the time I make it down there, it's, you know, it's eight o'clock or something. And mm -hmm. I pull into Huntsville at like two in the morning local. And the <laughs> hotel woman's looking at me like, oh, it's you again. Okay. We wondered who was coming in at three in the morning. Um, cool. So what, um, how did you end up at the nuclear power plant? That's an interesting transition. So, um, so the background on, uh, so my father uh, worked for the power company in South Carolina. 
Um, and so that was the connection that got my resume in South Carolina looked at. Um, and, and, and again, that diverse uh, background. Um, so I went to school pre-law, went to a little liberal arts college pre-law and I made it about two weeks uh, and said, this is not for me. Um, uh, well, I'm going in the military. Um, it doesn't really matter what my degree is. I was pretty good at math in high school, so I'll just be a physics major um, and became a physics major. Uh, did my army career uh, while well, I went into the army. Uh, and then there's an odd transition uh, following a company command in the army where you have to go do something else. Um, and a lot of people end up, uh, you know, going to a training center or going to a reserve unit to help them out. Uh, but a buddy of mine said, hey, why don't you think about going to teach at West Point? I was like, okay, that's cool. Um, and so he told me this on a Wednesday. Uh, so that Saturday, I went and took the GRE uh, and scored good enough to get into the program. Uh, um, and so I applied and uh, I applied to the mechanical engineering department. I was like, hey, I'm interested. You know, my degree sort of like engineering. Uh, and they said, uh, no, we're not interested. So no thanks, but why don't you talk to the Department of Physics? I'm like, okay. They looked at it and said, oh, yep, you're hired. Start applying to grad schools. Uh, so I did. Uh, got into uh, grad school. Uh, took, the, uh, took the uniform off for two years. Still got paid by the Army, but my only job was to, to go to school. Uh, got my master's degree and then taught uh, physics at uh, West Point for a couple of years. Um, and then went back to the army, uh, and, uh, in the army, in my series of odd jobs, uh, you know, one of them, an aspect of one of the jobs was, uh, oversight of the power distribution for a forward operating base in Afghanistan, just a bunch of big diesel generators and our own little grid, uh, there, uh, but that was my foray into power generation. Uh, and then of course that was on my resume that my dad handed uh, to his buddy at the power company. And that's what got me the courtesy interview uh, that turned into a three and a half or two and a half hour discussion, which turned into a job offer. Um, so I retired and started working there in South Carolina on the construction for two new nuclear plants there in South Carolina. Uh, ultimately that project ended up uh, not going through. So um, unfortunately um, for a lot of reasons, uh, but when that project fell through, I and about 5,000 of my closest friends started looking for work. Uh, and uh, luckily, I ended up, uh, you know, finding a new job uh, with uh, with TVA here in Tennessee. Um, and uh, no looking back and love it here. Nice. Tennessee, Tennessee, Tennessee. Yeah. Tennessee, not that far away. No, not really. When you were working the power grid um, on the FOB, was it, were they TQGs or what kind of generators were you using? They were one megawatt diesel generators. So we had 10 one megawatt diesel generators uh, and uh, connected to a very small electrical grid um, that we actually, we expanded um, uh, because, you know, the whole base uh, was, you know, basically spot generation, fuel inefficient, et cetera. Um, and, uh, you know, it made sense to expand the grid because it saved us fuel because, uh, you know, fuel trucks have a tendency to get blown up uh, and you can't really, you can't really fly in a lot of fuel. You can, it's just not real effective. 
Uh, so, so you want to uh, protect those fuel trucks and minimize the number that you need. The reason I'm interested is one of the projects that, that I, or one of the programs that I worked on in the company that I work for was um, hybrid and alternative power solutions for forward deployed operating bases. Yeah. So I was doing a lot of work with batteries and solar power and stuff to try to turn the yep. generators off and, you know, uh, get better fuel usage out of them and store power yeah. for surge and that kind of yeah. thing. Now we had, uh, we had emergency solar power for things like your radio battery. Uh, but again, until, uh, you know, I, until we have some revolutionary technological improvements in both uh, solar panels and uh, battery storage, um, we got a ways to go uh, to make that uh, truly efficient based on, you know, sort of modern military and or industrial needs uh, for power. Yeah, we found like the three kilowatt size was like the sweet spot where you could actually generate some power and be able to store it and kind of get rid of some of the small, like the 3K TQGs and that sort yeah. of thing. But once you started getting higher than that, it, it started to not make sense because it was so much extra stuff that you had to carry around with you. Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, ounces or pounds when you're walking that stuff around. Yeah, absolutely. Well, cool. Um, God, that's, that's fascinating that. So what was teaching at West Point? Like that had to be an experience. Uh, it was, uh, it was incredible. Um, it's, in, you know, honestly, one of the more enjoyable, uh, periods, uh, in my career. Um, one, uh, I was home every night. Uh, which was a good thing. Um, before the war, when I made the decision, uh, even then, you know, I missed the first month. Uh, I missed nine of the first 12 months of my first son's life. Um, so this gave me an opportunity to just be home uh, for, uh, for two years. Uh, and in fact, my wife says, uh, you know, if I hadn't gone to grad school, uh, we wouldn't have had son number two. Um, so son number two was born uh, while I was in uh, grad school, but the, the interactions uh, with the cadets, um, you know, trying to, you know, not only educate them, uh, but the, the West Point model is uh, there are a few civilian PhDs there. Uh, there's a few uh, permanent military PhDs there, uh, but the bulk of the faculty are what I were, which were rotating military faculty. They send you to grad school for two years, get your master's degree. Uh, you teach there for a couple of years uh, and you're uh, basically a role model and mentor for future officers. Uh, and it was, uh, it was great. Uh, and in fact, one of my, you know, after the fact, great memories, uh, it was one of my tours in Afghanistan. Uh, my unit as we were leaving turned over to another unit and one of the one of my former cadets was there as a second lieutenant uh so i you know went out to his outpost and i was there uh just to see him and make sure he got a good turnover and it was great to see that kid that was a sophomore in college when i knew him uh is now a 23 year old lieutenant uh leading a scout platoon uh getting ready to take over this little outpost in afghanistan it was just like yep this is it. This is why we did it. So it was awesome. Nice. What was your terminal rank? Uh, Lieutenant Colonel, 05. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's legit. Um, 
God, that's dude, you've had a really interesting life, that's for sure. Um, all right, so we're gonna take a break real quick and we come back, we're gonna start talking coffee and jujitsu. So we will be right Excellent. back after call. And we're back. All right, so Matt, tell us about how you got started in jujitsu. Okay, well, to get started in jujitsu, you got to go further back uh, than that. So just like I was always running around and playing guns in the woods, uh, been involved in martial arts for a long time. Uh, did uh, karate uh, through high school and college. Um, then when I graduated college, I just sort of did whatever martial art was available. Uh, when I was in Korea, I did Taekwondo uh, in Korea. Uh, highlight, you know, at one of the tournaments there, uh, we got to see the Korean national Taekwondo team perform and phenomenal. Um, and then when I had kids, um, you know, dad's rule rules, uh, you know, number one, do well in school. Number two, uh, be involved in some sort of church activity or community service to give back. And three, you will play a sport. Uh, and I don't care what sport it is, you can pick. Um, although I did cherry pick it a couple times and make them do martial arts uh, for reasons. Um, so did more Taekwondo with the kids, uh, did judo with the kids. Uh, at one point, just because it was there, uh, it was Aikido. Uh, so we did some, uh, some Aikido. Um, and then of course, in the military, the combatives program for the military is Gracie Jiu Jitsu based. Um, and I don't know if you know the story of that, um, yep. started, yeah, but, it, but anyway, so, uh, a buddy of mine who happened to be back in the day, a private in then Sergeant first class Larson, the father of army combatives. Uh, I think he's an Alliance black belt, uh, but a buddy of mine who's now a black belt under, uh, Alliance and Larson sort of said, hey, you ought to try jujitsu. So I did combatives in the military. He finally, you know, convinced me, he was like, yeah, I'll give jujitsu a shot. Um, and then I really played at combatives uh, while I was in the military, wasn't that serious about it. Uh, and then when I retired, uh, it was, hey, I need something to replace the, the physical aspect, the fellowship, uh, the, you know, a little bit of competition aspect. Uh, so I'm going to make it jujitsu and, uh, the boys in between sports, I was like, yeah, you're doing jujitsu with me. Um, and, uh, so that's how I ended up uh, in jujitsu. Um, and ultimately first time I did it. And again, I'm a large semi-muscular man, been doing martial arts my whole life. This is going to be fine. And I got in there. And it was probably, I don't know, 170 pounds, 180 pounds. I think he was like maybe a three-stripe purple belt at the time. And I'm like, yeah, I got this. And that dude was on me like a spider monkey. And he, he in a five, six-minute round, he must have choked me five times, tapped me with arm bars and everything else another five times. And I just went, I must learn this magic. Uh, uh, I'm hooked and, and fell in love with it right there and been doing it ever since. As a, as a whole different strong guy and come in here and have some dude who weighs 130, 140 pounds just choke the shit out of you. 
and there's nothing yep. you can do to stop it. It's, it was very disheartening, but it was also, like I said, I was like, I've got to learn this because i got to figure out how this little dude is just negating all my power and all my strength. Yep, and, I, you know, as a, as a rule, and we may get into it later on the aha moments, but based on my experience for men, there are two general reactions to that humiliation. I think the more common one is, oh, this is BS. This wouldn't really happen. Uh, you know, my ego got me. Uh, and they will walk away and call it BS and never do it again. Uh, and then the reaction which I had was, you know, what just happened to me? I must learn this. Uh, and and I fell in love right then. Yeah, yeah that, you're, you're right. We've had on the about five years of training here. I've seen so many people come and go. And a lot of a lot of gym rats, a lot of gym bros yeah. don't make it because they come in and they think they can use the bench press and squat muscles and then they get choked out by a female gym member or you know, I'm in my four, you know, I'm in my mid forties and just mutilate them and then they just don't understand. And then they get frustrated. Oh well, that wouldn't really wouldn't work. Well, yes, yeah. but it just did. It just did, brother. <laughs> But if we are throwing punches, well, if you want to strike, we, we can, do we can, we can throw some striking on this too, and then you're really going to be embarrassed because I'm going to end up sitting yep. on the chest and, you know, I'm going to rest certain things on your chin. Just saying. <laughs> yep. That's, that's, that's one of my favorite things when someone's being belligerent with like the smaller members of our school and they're using just strength and trying to hurt people is I, I like to end up in modified S mount with, you know, resting certain things on your chin and just sit there for a minute. It's like, how, how do you like this position? Yep. <laughs> so Matt, you're a, you just got promoted to brown belt not long ago, correct? I did. I am a, I am a baby brown. Congratulations, man. That's awesome. Thank you. So how long have you been doing jujitsu? Uh, I think formal jujitsu, eight and a half years. Okay. Uh, and again, you know, playing and playing combatives which uh, was helpful since i understood some of the positions and some of the terminology um a little longer than that but formal jujitsu you know formal school instruction about eight and a half years training which is some of judo and stuff like that that's what basically what we were still doing back then that was before that yeah it was more of the the quick takedown and with the boot to the back of the head to finish the finish them off. Yep. There's a lot of throws and the quick short strikes. Yep. And the, the combatives program, I mean, honestly, it's evolved a lot over the years. Um, and, you know, it does include, uh, you know, to me, it's more focused on that. You're right. That, uh, that immediate takedown secure uh, as well as weapon retention. Uh, and, you know, there's nothing quite, as painful as you know a muzzle thump with a with a rifle uh, that'll that, that'll get your attention um so the the combatives in the military does have a, a different but pretty similar focus yeah. uh to jujitsu but just the the level of honestly it's the repetition and mat time uh that makes the the, the difference and that's where you see uh you know some difference but you know you look at guys like uh tim kennedy uh, who is a savage? Yeah, but, you know, I think he won the. I think he won the uh, Army Combatives Tournament twice, uh, I believe. And there's some, uh, there's some, there's some guys out there um, that you know do both. And in fact, uh, 
I've seen a bunch of military combatives. And again, the lower levels start. I think the first round is grappling only. You're wearing a, a uniform, uniform top, uniform pants. I think the first round is grappling only. Um, and then I think it, and then it progressively escalates. Um, they start allowing uh, open hand slaps uh, and things like that. But then the, the you know, sort of post-level combatives tournaments, the final rounds are almost full MMA rules. They may not allow elbows uh, just because they cut so much, but uh, they're in there in uniform pants, uh, T-shirt, uh, and MMA gloves. Uh, and it looks a hell of a lot like, like an MMA fight. And uh, tell you what, there are, some, there are some folks in the military that are very good at it. And, you know, Tim Kennedy is an example of that. And there are others. Yeah, we're, we're big Tim Kennedy fans. We want to go do a sheepdog class at some point. Now that now that things are loosening up a little bit, travel is starting to become possible again. That's one of the things that Jerry and I are, I think, looking forward to the most. Starting to do seminars again and starting to go to different schools while we travel, kind of thing. Because two weeks, Jim, go down there and train in Kentucky uh, as a as a group of us, just a handful of us, go down there and spend the weekend and train with Chewy. Because we went to his seminar a couple years ago when we were both just brand new white belts yeah uh, like two straight white belts and i learned a lot uh, from him because i mean chewy is just basic jujitsu you know he's kimuras and basic guard passes and that's what he's won pans with is basic jujitsu yep and i mean you're we're close to the same age i mean you get to a point to where basic jujitsu pro prolongs your life i mean i'm not gonna do the fancy as much fancy stuff as the young guys but my fundamentals are getting better Nicole, and as both a, uh, you know, you see it there on my, my jokes as an, uh, uh, as an er-ish, damn it, uh, dude, um, I'm 100% on the, uh, the fundamentals. In uh, the other aspect is, I mean, there is a difference between sport jujitsu uh, and, you know, a fight. Yeah. And uh, when you, when you start throwing strikes, a lot of that fancy stuff uh, becomes high risk. I'm not saying it's not going to work, uh, but some of that fancy stuff becomes very high risk uh, when you start uh, throwing strikes. But the fundamentals, well, they're fundamental for a reason because uh, they still work. Our coach, our, our coach, tell you, Jerry and I are starting to kind of branch out and try to figure out what our what our individual games are like, and our you know we'll be trying stuff. And our coaches like, you're never going to beat me with that flashy shit. You're only going to beat me with the fundamentals. Like, yes, sir, I understand, but I still want to try the inverted single leg barabolo. Give me a break. It's beautiful. It's artistic. It is fun to watch. Um, but you know, as an Irish damn it dude, uh, some of it I'm just not going to be able to pull off. Yeah. Yes, there's certain things you just I'm not made for. I got short gimli legs and doing stuff like Dela Hiva and X Guard is yeah. a problem. I'm okay with it, but I'm just too damn short to really do it. I'm better with butterfly guard and half guard. Your butterfly guard's strong. Your butterfly guard's really strong. But uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's always he's always telling us, you know, focus on the fundamentals. Yes, sir, but I still want to try the thing, please. Yeah. I saw this on YouTube. Yeah, we saw that. Oh, <laughs> uh, but uh, so you, you brought it up a few minutes ago. So, what was your aha moment in jujitsu? What was what was the thing so, that that cemented it for you? So, I'll give you two uh, because I but they came in series. Uh, so the 
so I started at a at a place called uh, Columbia Self Defense. Uh, it's in the Valente Brothers uh, network there uh, in uh, in Columbia, South Carolina. And for <clears throat> gosh, probably the first year to year and a half, I was the newest of guys approximately my size. Um, so I I started to see some progress on the smaller people. But the guys that were my size were better than me from the start and progressing at the same or better rate. So basically, I was getting my ass kicked for 12 to 18 months. And it was like, am I actually learning anything? Um, and then one day, um, a couple of dudes came in and uh, the, you know, the coach let me have one of them. Well, that one happened to be about my size, 25 year old. So he's 20 years younger than me, former high school wrestler. So he's about my size, 20 years younger than me, in better shape, stronger, everything. And he came at me like a wrestler does. And in five minutes, I probably choked him out six or eight times. Uh, when it was all said and done, I was breathing hard. He got up off the mat, went in the bathroom, threw up multiple times, and then walked out and, and never came back, back to that ego thing. And that was a moment where it was like, holy crap, I have actually learned something. This stuff works. Uh, and then the, uh, the next one, and it's a cliche, um, you know, there's always somebody bigger, stronger, faster, et cetera, than you. I was probably a blue belt at the time. Uh, and in my old job, I traveled a lot. So I'd hit a bunch of different gyms, you know, have gi, will travel uh, kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and I ended up in a gym uh, visiting. And so I was a, probably a brand new blue belt. And this guy was, a, I think, a four-stripe white belt. So really about the same. But he was easily 350 to 400 pounds, um, you know. So bigger, a big boy. And uh, I ended up underneath him for about three minutes, just surviving. And then I finally got out and choked him. And it was like, okay, okay it works. Um, you know, it, again, it works even against a, you know, approximately skilled opponent. And again, I don't spend a lot of time rolling with people bigger than me because I'm a big guy. Uh, but he outweighed me by probably a hundred pounds and it worked. Um, and you know, that's that emphasis on the fundamentals and, and quite honestly, uh, sort of my long-term goal and philosophy, you know, I want to be a good training partner. Uh, I don't just want to smash people. Uh, generally I only smash my friends, uh, and friends that are, and, and friends that are better than me. Um, you know, my, my goal that I try to roll with for 90% of people is, Hey, I'm a big guy, but I want to be good at little man, fundamental jujitsu. So I'll just play off my back, uh, and work to submit from there. And if I sweep and when I sweep, you know, I'll give them a reversal, uh, because, you know, you know, if you're smaller than me and less experienced than me, I'm not going to smash you. So those are the two that, those are two light bulb moments that, uh, really shaped how I, how I look at jujitsu for, for my personal path. I'm already starting to work 
towards the purple, starting to look at the purple belt test here and prepare. And we had some uh, visitors uh, two Thursdays ago, and I was rolling with these guys, and they're brand new, brand new white belts. And I was amazed at how much more I knew than they did. And it was like you said, and the one guy I didn't do a whole lot with, I let him move and I gave him a lot of room and I just played from side control or from the bottom. And then I talked to him at the end and I told him, he was like, well, you didn't do a lot. I was like, well, what, what do I learn from smashing? It's like, I can smash you for five minutes. You're going to sit here just hating life. But what did you learn? And what did I learn? I learned that I, just, I can beat you up. And you learn that you're going to get beat up by an upper belt. That's what is we actually, that's all we established. It's like, it's more fun to let you put me in a bad spot. And then I have to work yeah. to get out or just survive. And yep. you, yeah, so it's sometimes, yeah, I mean, I still at the point where I'll let a lot of the white belts put me in bad spots and I just try to survive because our coach has the uh, you know philosophy of to get better, you use the newer white belts. You start practicing with them, then you practice it on the blue belts, and you practice it on the purple belts, and then you try to beat him with it. And if it don't work, you start going backwards and progress up again until you figure it out. Yep. Like, that's you know that's what it's for. Yep. So, so where are you currently training? Give your give your current team some love, man. So I train at a, a Shield Systems uh, there in uh, Hardin Valley, uh, Tennessee. It's outside of Knoxville. Uh, under uh, uh, Ben Harrison, and uh, Ben is a uh, Luis Pajares black belt uh, there in the uh, the Hicks and Gracie uh, lineage, uh, and it is a fantastic gym. Um, everything. So we have uh, we have an active UFC fighter uh, that's a, that's a black belt uh, assistant instructor at our school. Uh, you know, judo black belts, uh, MMA fighters, uh, and we range everywhere from again. We've got an active UFC fighter on the roster, uh, aspiring uh, MMA uh, fighters, uh, you know, jujitsu competitors, uh, with a bulk of people that are just like me, uh, which are just hobbyists there for a good time. Uh, so, whatever you want, uh, you can, you know, you can get. Um, and it's a it's a great culture, great technical training, uh, and just a fun group to be a part of. Nice. Yeah, we're a uh, we're a Pedro Sour um affiliated school so we're uh our black belt is out of uh, roanoke virginia uh dennis hayes and he was pedro's first american black belt yeah um so we you know that that whole the whole gracie lineage is just freaking crazy um so does your so your um we talked about this with becky so i'm interested to see what uh what you come back with is your is your school a testing school or is it a uh, teacher's evaluation for uh, the, the answer is yes. Uh, and uh, so, so I've been there about uh, four years. We have a very formal uh, curriculum uh, for white belt and blue belt, you know, defined curriculum by stripe. Um, and, uh, but I showed up as a, uh, as a new, uh, as a brand new purple belt. Um, but there's, you know, curriculum-based tests for white belts uh, through blue belt. I showed up as a purple belt, um, received my first and second stripes on my purple belt. Just, hey, good job, you've uh, you've earned this. Then, uh, <clears throat> then at one point, and again, they're still evolving the curriculum beyond that. Uh, they told me. Uh, 
No, it was for my purple belt fourth stripe. They said, hey, uh, you're going to test for your purple belt fourth stripe. Uh, you know, how's next Saturday? Great. Awesome. I'll be there. Uh, so it was about a 90 minute test. Uh, and it was, I mean, it was awesome. It was, you know, do this, show this, demonstrate this, teach this, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then I got my fourth stripe on my uh, uh, purple belt uh, following that. Uh, and then, I don't know, six months later, surprise, you're, you know, here's your brown belt. So, uh, you know, so it's evolving, uh, I think. Um, and, you know, my, my whole view on testing and all that is I'm just not going to ask. Uh, when it happens, it happens. You want me to test? I'll test. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to trust the, uh, the instructor. So, so that's a long answer for uh, a little bit of both. So we're a testing school. We have defined tests all the way up to black belt. Um, but the tests do evolve. Like um, Jerry and I did the same. We did the same blue belt test. We were about a year apart. Um, roughly, right? About a year. About a year apart. And then, yeah, exactly a year apart, basically. Um, and then afterwards, our coach was like, I'm going to add more self-defense stuff. So he goes in and adds like 17 more of the, the self-defense techniques, added two extra sweeps. Um, and then he, he added some other stuff. And he goes, and he looked at all the blue belts and says, don't get comfortable because in order to get your second stripe on your blue belt, you're going to have to redo the test. I was like, oh, okay, got it. So, yeah, our our tests are are progressing. Are, yeah. are you know they're they're growing as well. Sorry, preparing for my purple, purple because yeah. purple is like thirteen sweeps, mm -hmm. eight I think are defined. The rest are up to you. And it's you know, and our purple belt is more of what you know. Do it the way yep. you, blue blue belt is do it the way the, they you were taught. That you were taught showed and how the black belt Dennis Hayes wants to mm -hmm. see it. Purple belt is more of, well, we showed, you know, the basic part of it shows how you do it, shows how you get there. Yep. And then brown belt is the more of the same. And then it's yeah. like, show us the book. I think the brown belt test is do everything in the book, then some. And black belt is just show us everything you know. It's, um, and the, yeah. well, I would say that's the book except for weapons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, they do the that was, Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're right. I would yeah. say that's one of the, uh, the things I was most excited about. Uh, becoming a brown belt so uh, our gym has a brown belts only class um, and uh, you know it's a stated goal and you can see it from the uh, from our head coach Ben um, so it's brown belts only and, and again none of it is new curriculum but what he does and it's a stated goal is you know hey brown belts you know hey you know like uh, this week uh, or last Saturday was uh you know, one of the senior brown belts taught uh, his favorite gi based chokes from Casey Gatami. Uh, and it aligns with, you know, it's so much more level, so much higher technical detail in a brown belt only class. Uh, just you can't do that with a with a large class, uh, yeah. just with a spec sprint of knowledge. So it's all these little technical details. Uh, and then the other thing is, and, you know, he tells us is, you know, part of being a black belt is being able to teach. So I'm making all of you teach uh, as part of this class. Uh, so he's not just growing us technically, uh, he's growing us, uh, you know, on the instructor side of what, as well. Uh, and I was just, you know, that was the thing I was, I saw it as a purple belt. I was like, man, I just want to be part of that class. 
uh, and then once I once I uh, earned the brown belt, I was you know I'm fired up every Saturday uh, to go to that class for that. Nice. Yeah, Jerry and I are starting to teach a little bit when Coach you know has to take a break or like he'll he'll like so he's like I got paperwork to do go teach class you know and he's yeah. watching us the entire time like you know how how badly are they screwing this up? But uh, you know we're we're starting to teach a little bit and that's fun. I enjoy that. Well and. It, being being forced and having to explain something uh, in that you know maybe was intuitive for you, uh, but being forced to think through the details and be able to explain it, I mean, you truly learn it. Yeah. Uh, and and that's just a fundamental aspect of of being a teacher on any subject, of uh, being able to to explain, demonstrate, and help someone learn it. You're you're learning just as much or more. Yeah. So um, you had a you had a pretty significant injury not too long ago. Why don't you tell us about that? Yep. So uh, so I blew out my ACL. Oh shoot! About uh, sixteen uh, months ago, um, and uh, I blew it out, and it was absolutely my fault. We were doing. Uh, I mean, they weren't even super competitive uh, takedowns. Uh, it was you know just competitive takedowns, uh, and I absolutely screwed up and. <clears throat> had my weight distribution wrong and went for the move anyway uh, and my foot did not rotate on the mat and my body rotated about my knee uh, and it sound it sounded like a gunshot uh, in my head uh, I went down in a groan everyone ran over and you know so I, I walked it off I was like yeah, I'll be fine uh, you know just a little ice and vitamin M I'll be fine uh, I went home and uh actually uh ran the weed eater all over the yard <laughs> just, just limping around hey i'm i'll be fine i can you know i can tough through this uh and then after that when i sat down and stopped moving uh my knee swole up you know and i couldn't i couldn't move uh and then you know ended up going to the the doctor and uh got set for the uh, mri and they're like yep sure enough uh busted uh busted uh, acl um and then uh, ended up having surgery. So I've got a dead guy's hamstring uh, in my, uh, as my ACL now. Uh, and then the, uh, the, the part I just chuckle about, uh, they were like, and uh, you also, uh, you know, tore your, we couldn't see it on the, the MRI, but when we were in there, uh, we noticed your, uh, your uh, meniscus was torn uh, as well. So we repaired that uh, too. And I was just like, dude, after 20 years in the military, the fact that I still have meniscus, yeah, I'm taking that as a win. Yeah, that's a victory. <laughs> And uh, so, uh, you know, I was, uh, I was off the mats for about six months, um, but even off the mats, I wasn't off the mats. Um, I hobbled in on crutches, did my rehab there on the mats, just watching uh, and hanging out, uh, and then slowly started, uh, you know, getting back on the mats. Actually, I did the kickboxing classes first. We have uh, striking classes as well. Uh, so, you know, big old knee brace, um, doing the, the hand aspect of the, uh, the striking classes was first. Uh, then I transitioned to the soft brace on the knee, um, you know, rolled. Uh, honestly, I just like lay on my right side and bottom side control uh, and do what I could, uh, getting mauled, uh, wearing a, a knee brace. And then right around the year mark, took the knee brace off. And, uh, you know, I'm... 
I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I'm a hundred percent yet. Um, I'm doing, uh, let's call it a cooperatively collaborative takedowns, uh, again, uh, yeah. I'm not doing competitive, I'm not doing uh, competitive takedowns, uh, yet. Um, but pretty much rolling at, uh, at, uh, full, you know, full capacity, uh, with the exception of, you know, uh, if you even grab my right ankle for a heel hook, I'm tapping. I'm not even going to try to defend. I'm just tapping. Yeah. Um, pretty much the only thing that scares me on the knee uh, is torque on it. Uh, so uh, not doing the competitive takedowns yet. Um, and, uh, you know, if you grab hold of that ankle, uh, I'm just tapping. Yeah, I, uh, it took me about a year after I blew out my ACL to come back somewhat fully I know I should have tapped. Um, you know, come come back. <laughs> you know, near near uh, you know, near 100 percent, at least rolling. You know, 100 percent. But yeah, takedowns are still a little. I'm, I, okay, <laughs> shut up, shut up, <laughs> shut up. Um, I, I'm working. I'm working. Okay, I'm working. But yeah, they're still kind of nerve wracking, right? I mean, yep. they, they, you're 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 kind of always nervous about them, um, and. and Jerry's being good. He's he's making me do what I don't want to do. So, uh, but yeah, he's. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he would just send me all the memes about guard pulling. I'm like, okay, yeah, I get it. I get it. Shit about guard pulling. I'm being peer pressure. Every once in a while, we have, we have we have a really big guy in our class, and I will pull guard with him. I'm uh, yeah. I'm not about to try to let that big dude land on top of me and I take down. I just I pull guard. I will pull guard in a heartbeat. Well, he's he's a he's a, he's a corrections officer. He's this big round guy, and it's like trying to take down a beer keg. He's just when I get him in mount. When I get when I mount him, my knees don't touch the ground. I'm like <laughs> my legs are there, just like ooh, and I'm like. I feel very unstable, and then I end up getting sweat because I don't actually have any base because my knees don't yep. touch the ground. <laughs> um, so, what are your? I, I asked Becky this as well. What are your goals in jujitsu? Um, what's the What's the plan? Well, really, the the plan is the long term plan for jujitsu is I want to be in jujitsu for the long term. I just want to I just want to keep rolling, uh, keep learning. Um, don't care about belts don't care about stripes now that said i would like to learn and acquire and have the skills of a black belt uh, one day but really i just want to stay on the mats uh have fun and learn it is more it is easier when you really, when you stop worrying about getting a belt or a stripe you're just there we make it fun our coach he'll he you know he'll look at us sometimes because we do get a little out of hand, but we, we, we bring the shenanigans to class. So instead of people rolling quietly, like it used to be when we first started, where when guys would roll, you would hear the occasional grunt or exhale. We normally we would roll quietly. Now you hear laughing and people are having fun because we've carried that over from what we do to everybody else to where it's more fun. So people come in here more and they're having a blast. So it's more about what, what did I learn today? What If I can use that in my rolling, how am I doing against this guy? Having fun, joking, talking trash, and it's it's yeah, it's not. I'm I'm not worried about. Yes, I, one day I would love to be a black belt, but I'm more worried about getting better and being better than I was last week. Yeah. Yep. 
and continuing to have fun. Because as yeah. soon as soon as it, it's not fun anymore and you're just driving for that belt, it's like, why are you even here? You're gonna hate every minute of it. Just you know, it needs to yeah, it needs to be it needs to be fun. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, there are times that it sucks, but if it's not fun, then why in the hell are you doing it? Exactly. Yeah, we uh, yeah, Jerry and I are known for our shenanigans. We've got two sisters that rolled that that train with us, and um, Olivia just got her blue belt. But we were we were rolling one day, and I was rolling with one sister, and Jerry was rolling with the other. And I looked over and caught Jerry's eye, and we we tag team and swap partners in the middle of the in the middle of the roll. And all, and the sisters were like, "What's going on?" <laughs> we did, yeah, we did Rolling Thunder. Rob Van Dam. They called Rolling Thunder as a tag team finisher. We did it to one of one of them. One of them, yeah. I walked slam from hell a month ago or so with you, which was awesome. Yeah, we talked about that multiple times. Jerry sidewalk slammed me. It was great. Uh, but yeah, so it, it, yeah, we're we've got the same. I'd love to get my black belt yeah. one day and, and Jerry and I have a black belt pack, but we just want to keep doing this and keep having fun and keep trying to learn. And yeah. like you said earlier, you know, the, the camaraderie and the, the team nature, even though it's an individual sport, I mean, you really do build a, a you know, you've got a second family at the gym. If it's a yeah. good gym and the, uh, yep. the environment's good, I mean, you have a, you have a whole nother family and that's part of the attraction, right? You've got this. Yep. Absolutely. System. So, all right. So you got anything else on jujitsu for Matt? All right, cool. So we're going to take our last break and we come back, we're going to get into the jackassery. So, yep. So hold on dear listeners. We will be right back. My name is Thomas Dillon. You may know me as the man who supposedly killed his own son to collect insurance money. The truth is my little boy, Walter, was abducted by a religious cult. They took him to a parallel world, to an America run by religious fanatics and plagued by disease. I know because I've been there, and I found my son. It's a place of magic and malice and ignorance, where faith healing is medical care and government enforcers dress like Klansmen. Now, I know I sound crazy, like this is the plot of a dystopian dark fantasy novel that would appeal to fans of Neil Gaiman. And indeed, that's how I had to get my story out, by teaming up with writer Matthew Warner. He published my first person account as a novel called Empire of the Goddess. Publishers Weekly called it quick-paced and intriguing. Can you believe that? But he let me record the audiobook, because only I can tell you my story, and it's going to blow your mind. Look for it on Amazon and at MatthewWarner.com, Empire of the Goddess. And we're back. All right, Matt, so tell me about Twitter. How did you get involved in Twitter, and how did... How did you get involved in jiu-jitsu Twitter? Because you know, we talked about this with Becky last week, um, that somehow we managed to find a very wholesome uh, you know, corner of the dumpster fire that is Twitter. And we've got a great group between you know, all, of, all of jiu-jitsu Twitter. Um, how did you get into Twitter and, and find our particular corner? So, well, just, you know, my social media is a bit uh, schizophrenic. 
Um, you know, there's Facebook, which is uh, the family and the, the kid pics and, uh, and that. LinkedIn is for the uh, professional stuff. Um, I'm on Snapchat. Uh, my boys say Snapchat is for the honeys. Uh, but quite honestly, uh, that's how that's my most uh, reliable and responsive means of communication uh, with the boys. Um, you, you call them, they, they don't answer. They never check voicemail. Uh, you send them a text, it may be three or four days, uh, but I hit them up on uh, Snapchat, usually communicating through memes, uh, and I resp and they respond just like that. So that's how I talk with my uh, boys. Uh, and Twitter, um, Twitter is just uh, snark and jackassery and uh, screaming into the void. Uh, and you may see that on some of my uh, tweets. And sometimes the void screams back. Uh, and that's how I think we built this little, uh, uh, you know, Twitter circle we've got, um, say mostly wholesome. I am guilty of uh, mildly inappropriate uh, sometimes, uh, but uh, that's just uh, my, uh, my jackassery side, uh, which, uh, you know, I don't do on Facebook, but I certainly will on Twitter. <laughs> yes, it's that, Jerry's right, it's that military dark humor that tends to pop up. Because we, we, we actually, uh, PG... PGR social media, except for sometimes Twitter, I'll get in sometimes on Facebook, but are the really gnarly stuff we send back and forth and and <laughs> And my wife sometimes has seen some of them. She's like, how the hell are you two guys friends? Like, <laughs> this is how I show my love. Yeah, our, our private messages to each other are are pretty <laughs> progressive. Yeah, they're they're pretty rough. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um you also, so you mentioned schizophrenia in your uh, in your social media. I will also say that your user handles on Twitter have been somewhat schizophrenic as well, because I think I've known you through three different Twitter handles, because you were contemplative Hulk at first, and now you're the drunk flamingo. Yeah, so uh, so originally back on uh, Twitter, I mean, depending on how much you look on the, the military side, I did have a uh, uh, sort of a professional uh, Twitter uh, there for a while. Um, and, uh, and then I had a, uh, you know, sort of a semi anonymous one where my jackassery could come out. Um, and, uh, ultimately, you know, I just quit using the professional one cause I just don't do that uh, anymore, uh, and kept my, uh, my snarky one. Um, and then, uh, when I blew my knee out, um, you know, it sort of first started as an inside joke, of, uh, you know, I'm hobbling around needing, hobbling around like a drunken flamingo uh, needing help, uh, you know, so I just uh, steered into that skid and took it as the, uh, the, the Twitter handle. Nice. So, I mean, professional Twitter is kind of an oxymoron if you really think about it. I mean, really. When you look on, you know, there, there is, uh, quite honestly, on the, the military side, there is some, it's a very good, uh, you know, and Jerry, you may recognize the term, uh, you know, open door policy uh, from the uh, from the military. There are some some folks on the military that that communicate very effectively, uh, both, uh, you know, within the military and the the the, the public at large uh, using Twitter, uh, just because, you know, that's where a certain population uh, is. Um, but, you know, I'm not associated with that anymore. And so I just scared into the skid of uh, jackassery. Uh, as the uh, the drunken flamingo. So you posted a bot check the other day. Was that actual? Was, did you pick that up somewhere else, or did you actually pull that bot check? Uh, 
that it was a hundred percent me um and uh and i you know and, and again i can't remember how it started um you know the whole uh sugar daddy sugar mama thing um and uh but you know and i made the uh i made the tactical error of actually putting you know like the word sugar mama in a tweet uh and started getting them uh and then like everything else i will play the shenanigan and go into it uh and 100 that was a legitimate uh uh this uh that particular profile uh liked a tweet of mine and then dm'd me and i'm like oh i'll i'll play this game and <laughs> and uh and, and, and quite and quite honestly, I find it just humorous. Um, now, some of them are actually people, um, and they'll be, they'll actually have a conversation with you, and then they'll ask for your bank account and be like, uh, "How about you just Venmo it to me?" Oh no, my Venmo's been hacked. I'm like, okay, all right, funds over. But I just I laugh like a 13 year old on the bots because I'm just like okay, AI has progressed to a certain point, but it's not that hard to beat yet. And I will just, I'm amusing myself uh, with a bot check like that. I do, uh, I'll make a push in your head. I'll be like a real push you in your head and take pictures or do this or do that random shit. And most time you just lose them because the, yeah, like you said, a bot can't do yeah. it. But then I've, I had one do it. She put she put a shoe on her head and sent me a picture. And I was like, okay, now I don't know what to do. <laughs> okay, so you really are you. Like, what do I do with this? Okay. And I was like, okay, now I'm at that impasse of do I continue the trollery? Or I just say, all right, it's been fun and I gotta go. Because, <laughs> yeah, I, I, but normally it's, I'll just start progressively trolling them harder and harder and stuff. Yep. It's just like, as soon as your English goes really bad, it's like, yeah, okay. You might want to learn how to speak English first. Yeah. You know, your spelling <laughs> is atrocious. You're supposed to be a college, per, you know, you're supposed to be in college or a professional, and your English is atrocious. Yeah, some of Jerry's bot checks have been hilarious. <laughs> and then I get the random ones that are real. That are real, yeah. So so let, let, let's talk uh, hashtag team black coffee. So you've been uh, you've been trying some different coffees this week, dude. What's up with that? Well, so first off, uh, I've lost several bets and uh, tried some of Joe's and uh, and Becky's coffee, uh, and then I think I even put it there. Um, I am psychologically incapable of turning down a challenge. <laughs> you know, if, if it's a challenger bet, I'm pretty much going to do it. Uh, so that's uh, been uh, this week, just, uh, again, snark and uh, jackassery, had a blueberry coffee that was really not good. Um, I still have an IO Joe uh, out there for, for trying it iced because, again, I'm psychologically incapable of turning down a challenge. Uh, and then uh, some of their, uh, their uh, dirty chai, uh, which, you know, not that bad. Not a regular drink for me, but also uh, not coffee. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the first one I ever saw was Blue Mountain uh, has this this K cup, and it's um, caramel apple coffee. It is the worst thing ever. I have had some bad <laughs> cups of coffee in my life, but it's caramel apple coffee. And I had a coworker who used to get that 
and, and he would he would do a full cup of that and then he would start dumping the flavored coffee mates in it and it was like dude how are you oh that's awful how are you drinking that he's like well, i'm trying to kill the acid i know you're i know you're killing your taste buds you're gonna get cancer from all the crap that's in that coffee because it's not coffee <laughs> I like yep. to quote Dennis Leary. I like coffee flavored coffee. Yeah. <laughs> I flask because I'll drink it black through work week. And then sometimes on the weekends, I'll drink something else because on the week is medicinal. On the weekends, when mm-hmm. I don't have to work, it's recreational. It's recreational so, yeah. And then sometimes the only, only things going in is whiskey or, or cognac or something. something yeah. <laughs> you make some Irish coffee. I'll drink mm-hmm. Irish coffee occasionally. Because I remember when the, uh, I ordered Irish coffee and the girl brought it with whipped cream. I was like, uh, what the fuck is that? Oh, it's whipped cream Irish coffee. Take that <laughs> no, crap off. No, no, no. I'm just talking about coffee and liquor. I don't want no. That's too much like cream. What are you doing? Yeah, I usually I usually run either Death Wish or I'll, I'll do Ground Shark or I'll do Black Rifle. Those are my, my three tops, but I'm usually running Death Wish. I got Death Wish in the Espresso Maker right now. My wife's like, you're drinking that as espresso? I'm like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> then I made her a cappuccino with it. She's like, woo. <laughs> okay, well, have you seen um, on it had that collaboration with um, Black Rifle Coffee? Did you see that? And they put, it was highly caffeinated coffee, and then they put caffeine crystals in it. So I don't remember what I don't remember what it was called. It was something like I see I see sounds or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm. well, they're fit fuel. The fit tool's good, yeah. Do I have an excuse why you're not working out? It's got MCT powder in it too, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean that needs to be the next bag I buy. Um, so one thing we didn't ask you, Matt, but in the in the jujitsu section was what's your craziest jujitsu moment? And and I, I, okay. I you previewed this one on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, so the craziest one, this one is, I wasn't directly involved. I just got to watch it, but this is my favorite jujitsu story, I think. So I was a relatively brand new white belt and we, no kidding, had a quote unquote ninja, uh, walk into the gym, uh, black, black gi complete to the little tabby shoes, uh, and, and everything. Uh, and, you know, he just wanted to, to work his, uh, his ninjutsu. And uh, so uh, he rolled with, you know, one of our senior guys uh, who absolutely murdered him just over and over and over again. Uh, and then, of course, uh, egos uh, got involved. And uh, he started, you know, talking about how his ninjutsu was too dangerous. If, and if he could do whatever he wanted, you know, he would murder. And... Uh, and again, so the, I think our, I think our mad enforcer at the time was a, was a brown belt, uh, same size. He was the guy that had been murdering him. Uh, and he just agreed. He agreed and said, you are welcome to do anything you want. But the caveat is I get to do it too. And there was much uh, puffery and back and forth. And he just stood there uh, and, you know, yelled and screamed and eventually ended up storming out, uh, which is probably a good thing because, uh, you know, our mad enforcer legit uh, would have killed him. Um, But I mean, that was, I just sat there laughing hysterically. Um, Okay. (laughs) Okay. Let's see this go down. Uh, and, you know, I mean, that dude got murdered. And it's a good thing he walked out because uh, had he started, you know, 
doing the dim mock and everything else like that. I have no doubt, uh, you know, he would have ended up in the S mount uh, getting uh, his head pummeled uh, because uh, egos got involved, but it was hilarious. And I just sat there in shock, awe, and absolute humor, uh, laughing my butt off about it. Never had anybody like that actually agree to come on the mat. We've had, we've had a couple of guys show up and want to like, and want to observe a class and you know some of them were like Krav Maga guys and they were you know they were a little dismissive but they never wanted to come on the mat which is fine we've had a couple of uh we've had a couple of wannabe cage fighters come in the one guy was particularly entertaining he, he came he came and observed two classes and uh he got on the mat or he he sat over there on the side and was holding his vape the whole time like he couldn't he was just sitting there with his vape and i'm like okay you i'm I'm gonna be a cage fighter i'm like okay i bet your endurance is amazing getting that blueberry vape uh and then but we've never had anybody really like that step on the mat and want to do oh okay uh, 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 research. She, she, who I worked with mostly when I, you know, did boxing, and she was my corner when I boxed. Uh, but she's a, she's a, you know, five foot five. Uh, she's you know, and we were in here one day, and we were working on something. I was working because I was getting ready, to, I think, take another fight, and when she was working on uh, my, because uh, I'm short, closing the distance and using body body shots. So we had she had uh, we had this guy put the body suit on. So I could hit as hard as I could without hurting the body mm-hmm. shield. Well, he was, he got to start talking to something and he said something about he's not afraid. He was talking, kind of talking down to her. And she said, he said something about he wasn't afraid of no woman. So he's wearing a bodysuit. She hits him so hard with a straight right hand, he goes through our window. <laughs> and we actually now have braces on our window because of that. I mean, she put him through the window. Nice. It was, it was <laughs> and I watched her more than once, just like, you know, start throwing a little harder when she's working with people that they start getting belligerent. And she also had this way if she would look at me and I knew what she meant, you know, when she would look at me, it's like, yeah, go ahead and just turn it up a little bit more. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, when, well, I've seen, I've seen Jim Bros get, yeah. just demolished we had a we had a wrestler come in here who was very aggressive and then he got just totally destroyed mm. and he his his ego got real bad because yeah he, he couldn't do anything and he just kept getting just smashed and you'll see it like i mean like you said what we, we talked about the other you know other day about the on twitter was just how bad has gotten especially with the younger generation that they just they magically think because they're a guy they can fight yeah it's like i i, I can fight bro okay i mean i had a guy working tell me that he could get out of, of a rear naked choke all he had to do was move my hand i was like i'm not sure what you're talking about. He goes, yeah man i watched this youtube video all you gotta do is reach up with your hand you can't choke me it's like man i don't think I don't think you know what you're talking about. He said, no, no, man, I watched this YouTube video. You just can reach up and just move the hand. I don't know why people are scared of it. You got to move the hand. I said, all right. He said, man, I'll prove it. I said, okay. He's like, I want you to put me in a room. Do that. I was like, all right, man. So you want me to lock this in? He's like, he's like, yeah. I was like, well, dude, be prepared to tap quick because you'll go to sleep. Oh, man, I ain't worried about it. I could move. As soon as I locked it in, 
he reached up and started trying to paw, and then yep. started to fall asleep. So I sat him down, and then he was like, he stood. He's like, you did it wrong. It's like, no, nah, man, I, I I did a basic naked <laughs> choke. Well, no, your hands are supposed to be here. No, nah, dude, my hands are like this. I can show you the video mm-hmm. on YouTube of what a rear naked choke looks like. I'm not sure what you're watching, but you know this is how they work. And he's like, oh well, yeah, that that reaching up ain't gonna work. Yeah, not my <laughs> <laughs> all right so it's that time of the show all right so matt twitter open matt who's your first call out this one is tough um i know becky uh called me out um she is feisty um she's she's she she's a she's a blue belt now um you know i'm i'm all for uh murdering uh blue belts um and as much smack as Becky talks, I think Joe actually talks more. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she's a four-stripe white belt, so she's getting close there, too. Um, but, uh, you know, the two of them, they'll mean girl me and, and pick on me on Twitter. So there is really only one solution. Both. Okay. Two on one. I told, I, that's awesome. I actually picked, we were talking about the sisters earlier. I told we were warming up one night and they were talking trash. She was like, I'm going to pick one of you up and hit you with the other. And I did. I picked one up and threw her on her sister. And I was like, I'm thinking, I'm going to beat you up. All right. So so there's the call out. Matt challenges Joe and Becky. Now are we talking like people the whole time? We're talking like tag team where they can tag in and out. And you just keep going like Shark Tank style. Both. Okay. Both. Both. Both is good. Two on one. Good enough. I like that. I like that. Oh God, this is going to be great. Yeah. So Jerry and I, and I'm going to, I'll talk to you guys about this on the on the Twitter feed. But uh, we figured out what we're going to do for the Battle Royale show. So it's going to be Excellent. legit. But we'll we'll save that for when the time comes. Excellent. So, uh, dude, you got anything else for us today? No, uh, I, you know, this was a, a great time. The only thing I offer, uh, hey, open invitation to open mat. Uh, anytime you guys uh, roll through the area. Uh, and if I end up uh, in your area, count on a, uh, on a friendly dojo storm. You're always welcome. Yeah, we uh, love visitors. Our, our coach is highly open to visitors. And just know that if you show up, more than likely you're going to be pressed into, hey, show us something that yeah. you can do. Because that's what we actually enjoy that one, especially when we give visiting purple belts, brown belts, black belts. Yep. They'll show in for class and they'll be like, hey, and show like, us something hey, you do. And they're like, oh, okay. Because yeah, usually that's the, yeah, hey, we'll waive the mats fee if you teach class. And it's not <laughs> I'm down. Yeah, it's not. I'm down. Because yeah. every school does stuff different. different yeah. So yep. it's awesome to learn, well, we do this way. Remember, we have a, a guy who comes in, he's, he's more of a member of our gym, but he trains elsewhere. Named yep. Johnny and his yeah his cross collar chokes are like legit. Yeah. If he gets a hold of your collar, you're going to get choked sooner or later. You might as well just face it. Your best bet is just to try to jump it's like, it's jump like, it's like, it's like, Just like you might as well just give it to him because it's coming. <laughs> and we we talked to him one night to teach him some of it, and yeah. that was phenomenal. Yeah, yeah we we peer pressured him into teaching. Yeah, we didn't bully him. We peer pressured him because there's no bullying, Johnny. Yeah, yeah, you're not bullying. <laughs> yeah, 
but uh dude we really appreciate you coming yeah. thank you so much like i said you're always welcome you know if you're in the area you're welcome to drop by mm -hmm. and the next time we're in that area um we'll come see you guys and uh but thank you so much for coming man we really appreciate the time it's been a blast we're gonna have joe on here um in another couple weeks and then we'll get the battle royale going and that's where the shenanigans can really start because i got a great idea for this one so <laughs> awesome hey thanks guys this was a lot of fun no worries man we, we really appreciate it so for matt i'm scott that's jerry you've been listening to rolling rocks radio thank you very much till next week we're out the music for tonight's episode was but i am shafts of light by mayeth from their album, Wailing Village.